And I think for a lot of like young queer people who are into X-Men, comics in general just provided this kind of alternate world you could step into. Mm -hmm. I grew up in Ottawa, the nation's capital. Hold for applause. Hold for applause. Oh, no need. I'm Trevor Campbell, and this is You Made Me Queer, the show where queer folks finally toss aside all of the meaningless and limiting labels used within our community like butch, side, doorstop, and settle on three. Papa Smurf, Smurfette, and Gargamel's cat. That's right. That's Asriel, by the way. The cat was named Asriel. That's right. Every episode, I invite a fantastic 2SLGBTQIA plus guest to point the finger of blame at who and or what made them queer. Oh boy. I'm recording this in the morning, and you can't tell because my voice is Carnegie Hall ready. You heard range. Uh, and you're going to get so much more of it. And uh, and that's the You Made Me Queer difference. So as I said, uh, this is uh, You Made Me Queer. Wow, it is the morning. This is our penultimate episode. Our penultimate episode, the second last. It's You Made Me Queer finale eve. It's the night before the last podcast when everyone was asleep in the house except for me because I was awake eating all of the cookies. Uh, Ask anyone who came to a holiday gathering throughout my youth and my teens, if I'm being honest, possibly my early 20s, me and those cookies were having a Merry Christmas. And why not? With everything that's happening in the world, eat the cookie. How about that? How about that is my advice. So today's guest is someone that I love dearly, someone that I knew for a really long time sort of before they ascended into uh, the critical canyon. <laughs> it's it's 8.20 in the morning. They ascended into the critical canyon. There's a tumbleweed blew by. There's the soft bleeding of a goat, because who knows where our canyon is. We cut open a cactus and drink out some water from the inside of that cactus, because hydration is one of the easiest ways to keep a youthful glow in your skin. And that all has uh, a lot to do with my guest, which is why it was the perfect segue. My guest I've known for a long time. My guest is now uh, truly a queer icon, beloved, not just in Toronto, but sort of, you know, internationally. And you probably already know why. And if you don't, you're going to find out soon. My guest is a triple barrel name. We love it. Eric Kostiuk Williams. Do you know Eric? Do you know Eric's work? Let me take you in. Eric Williams is a cartoonist and illustrator based in Toronto, Ontario, Canada, but really, girl gets around. Girl hops on a flight pretty regularly because she's in demand all over the place. Prolific 
you know, we toss around words like prolific a lot. Eric releases books and posters and compendiums with a startling frequency that, you know, when I look in the mirror, I think, have you, have you done anything? Have you, since the day you were born, did you actually do anything? And compared to Eric, I feel like no. As I'm recording this intro, Eric has released two more books and uh, they've both won awards. So I better speed up and get something done. Eric has contributed comics to Now Magazine, R.I.P., Dazed and Confused, and The Believer. We love The Believer. He's also created murals, nightlight flyers, harm reduction campaigns, editorial illustrations, music videos, blah, 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 blah. Eric is everywhere. There are queer clubs all over the place with Eric's mural work in there. Can we say, can we, what, what's the opposite of proto? A, a legacy comic sort of working in the vein of Keith Haring, and I mean that in the, the highest compliment, but with like a, a fluid, equally punk, but like playful aesthetic that kind of riffs and gently improves on the original. You know what? No, we don't have to, we don't have to uh, create a hierarchy. Just like, you know, really working in the same vein, I think, in a beautiful way, capturing a community, a reference point for a community, certainly for me and for queer folks I know. Also, Eric is an Eisner Lambda Literary and Doug Wright finalist. Those are some pretty big awards. And I love this quote from Olivia Sava from the AV Club about Eric's work because I think it is delicious and it captures it perfectly. Quote, Eric Costiak-Williams' comics are visually defined by their malleability. His forms shine like latex and stretch like taffy. That fluid visual aesthetic ties into major themes of his work like gender expression, queer culture, and urban preservation and development, all of which involve people and places in a constant state of change. Well written, Olivia Sava, gold star. And two gold stars for you, Eric. Thank you for coming in. You made me queer. You are one of the greats. And everyone who listens is about to know it. So please enjoy this conversation, which stretches like taffy. Thanks, Olivia. Enjoy my conversation with Eric Kostiak-Williams. You made me so this is a podcast folks cannot see this but standing three feet behind you to your right is kylie minogue <laughs> yep it's my kylie minogue cutout <gasps> life size that my friend gave me as a very bizarre birthday present but kind of a perfect <laughs> birthday present because she's my fave kylie oh my god <laughs> She lives beside my shelf of like X-Men comics. Yeah. So I always joke that like my whole personality is in this corner of the living room. So <laughs> totally. <laughs> if Kylie was in the X-Men, what would her superpower be? Well, there's actually this X-Men character called Dazzler oh. who can turn. She's a disco singer. They actually invented her. This could be its whole own podcast episode that probably exists somewhere. It should be. Dazzler was like invented by Marvel. It'll tie into what we talk about later, actually. Great. She was invented by Marvel to be the first like multimedia property. Like they were going to make her into like a movie character, a TV show character. But I think they debuted her right before disco crashed and burned. 
<laughs> so she like kind of flopped. And when people turned on disco, they turned hard. Yeah, big time. So they kind of wrote that into her character that she was like kind of a failed or like cult disco singer who like never really hit the big time. Oh. So big parts of X-Men fandom feel that Kylie Minogue would be like the perfect dazzler. <laughs> She's like popular, but in a very niche context. <laughs> it's so funny because in the queer community, you're like, what do you mean niche? She's like, everyone knows who she is. But then you wander outside of like a gay bar during Pride and people are like, <laughs> you mean locomotion, Kylie? Right. Yeah. No, she like hasn't been popular in North America in like 20 years, probably. That's so offensive. Also, did the dates line up for like when Dazzler disappeared and when Kylie kind of came up? Oh, my God. It's like I feel like <laughs> Kylie actually started her career just a bit after. Mm. OK, OK, we'll come back to it. I mean, she's and it's great. She's got like a bustier, but then there's like a weird kind of Oshkosh bagosh overall over top. When my friend gifted me this cardboard cutout, he actually he was telling me on this website they had several Kylie looks available <laughs> and he wanted to pick the weirdest dress, like kind of the ugliest dress, mm -hmm. but she's still rocking it. It looks great. She looks great. <laughs> she's got great hair. She's very approachable. And this is, by the way, this is what podcast listeners love, visual references. Oh yeah, totally. <laughs> oh, yeah, we're just gonna be talking about that. It's like the captioning for the visually impaired for movies that they do. Totally, totally. This is great. This is for everyone. <laughs> We're doing it. I uh, I have a dog at my feet that I can't show you because he is sleeping. Oh. oh, no, we don't want to disturb. He's a little cutie. He's a bit disco, <laughs> but I'm the dazzler of this dynamic right here. Oh, no doubt. No doubt. So thanks for making time for me because I know you're sort of busy taking over the world. Oh, my gosh. That's... That's generous, but yeah. <laughs> You're hot from a book tour. Yeah, um, this is actually like the first day that I've been kind of like back settled and like doing errands and like life catch up stuff. Mm -hmm. I put out a book about a month ago and been doing a couple like comic festivals and yes. book launch events in a couple places in the US. Mm -hmm. uh, I had like the weird situation of doing a new york one in the middle of all the forest fire like orange oh, sky no. scenario yeah so it was kind of surreal and like bittersweet to be there during that although hilariously i got i got to be subjected to like a million jokes from any americans i'd meet while down there where they'd be like oh thanks a lot for bringing the fire bringing the fires down with you right i try to bring the fire anywhere <laughs> uh and you're like hey thanks for you've been doing a great job with the environment so you're right it's totally <laughs> our fault yeah really i did see a picture and this may be <laughs> fire related or otherwise related but a very sexy green m&m yeah oh my god one of the drag shows that i did so this new book is collecting all the queer nightlife posters that i've illustrated over the last decade um i do like comics and illustration stuff and one of the new york parties i did was themed around the green m&m <laughs> right when all the controversy was going down about her losing her sexy boots. That's right. And like the whole like news apparatus in the US like losing their minds collectively over it. 
So my friend who throws the party asked if I could draw a very sexy green M&M who's <laughs> like kind of trans as well because mm-hmm. everyone putting on that party is trans. Mm-hmm. And I was like happy to oblige. And <laughs> when the event came around, this drag performer and friend of ours, Linda Felcher, actually like made a full green M&M costume. And then for the book, like I had all these people contribute writing about the different events and Linda when Linda wrote her write-up about that party I drew her in specifically her green M&M costume Mm. so when we did the launch in Queens I showed that illustration of her on the slide show and then had her come out again in that costume so it was this amazing like feedback loop moment of like me having created an image that inspired a drag look and then her drag look inspiring a new image from me. Ugh, yeah, <laughs> it's kind of magic. <laughs> I want to live in that loop. And also insane that that reminded me that green M&M like dominated the news cycle for quite a while. Like as, that's why the forest fire rightly so is coming to take us down. Like <laughs> humans are are wrong. We're kind of short-circuiting, like the green M&M felt, this is kind of the spirit behind that party was like the green M&M controversy being a symptom (laughs) of just like cultural short-circuitry. And I think especially during the lockdowns, like everyone just like- Losing their minds. Losing their minds a little bit. Sometimes to great comedic effect. (laughs) Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, the like the- the worms that are eating through our brains and like the whole new flavor of moral panic we're just like yeah. exploding through right now uh you know what if we ever needed a dazzler it's this moment honestly her powers i forget if i described her power before she can convert sound into energy <gasps> yes. so like which is such an amazing concept for a mutant power like So if there's, like, music playing, she just, like, transforms it and, like, hits people with, like, music blasts. She's, like, the Shazam app, but way cooler. (laughs) (laughs) She invented it, yeah. She invented, that's why she stepped back to go meet with some angel investors, a few VCs. Uh, Well, I think this is the perfect segue because we're talking about moral panic. We're talking about the sexualization, the desexualization, and then the resexualization of delicious things we want to put in our mouths. And that's why I've called you here, Eric, because we grew up in slightly different times, but nonetheless, times when people were secretly manipulating the things we liked and the things we thought. Mm. Delicious. And now we're adults. We have cardboard cutouts of all sorts of people around us and beautiful (laughs) microphones. And this is our opportunity, of course you know this, to once and for all, Eric Kostiuk Williams, to point the finger of blame who and or what made you queer. Well, it's so funny that we've been talking about Dazzler and fictional characters because I can squarely point the finger at X-Men, the animated series. Oh, yeah. And the I think the double billing of X-Men, the animated series, and Sailor Moon, as shown on network TV in the 90s. <laughs> oh, yeah. They, and Sailor Moon brought to us by Deke, famously, which looked like it was spelled like dick. <laughs> but this is funny because I think both of these have come up on the show before. I'm sure. And so let's start with X-Men, the animated series. By the way, I'm a Jubilee stan. Yeah, you are. From top to tail. And I did make my X-Men action figures kind of 
bump up. Oh yes, of course. <laughs> so, so which one was it for you? Oh my god, I was always I continue to be a big Jean Grey head. Mm-hmm. Um, she's always been my fave, and kind of like in the correlation between X Men and Sailor Moon, she has this like transformation quality about her, like becoming the Phoenix often a force for good, occasionally a force for evil, like strong, complex woman. You like the bad girls? <laughs> yeah, or like the good girls who go bad sometimes. I'm not super up to date on the canon in that I know she's one of the X-Men who are ostensibly good, but then there's that new Phoenix, Dark Phoenix movie. Oof, we don't talk about the Dark Phoenix movie. <laughs> I know, and I was really rooting for Sansa Stark. I was like, good for you for modernizing. Sure. Anyway, but she looked evil in that. Yeah, well, Jean Grey is one of the OG five X-Men characters who debuted in the early 60s. And, oh yeah, so like watching kind of led me down a rabbit hole into reading the comics, which have been going on since 1963. Super long. It's almost like a contemporary mythology at this point. Like it's something akin to like Roman or Greek mythology, where it's like these characters that will outlive us all. And yeah, like she, in the comics, and they adapt it very faithfully in the TV show, she becomes imbued with cosmic power from this entity called the Phoenix Force. Mm-hmm. And it accentuates her telepathic powers and gives her like a super cool costume, <laughs> which is the main <laughs> excitement. <laughs> 100%. Shopping. All right. Um, and it's a very draggy... I mean, all this stuff is like very draggy when you look back on it. And there's this pivotal scene in the comics and in the cartoon where their spaceship has crashed from the space adventure. They think Jean Grey is dead, Mm. but she emerges from the lake in her new costume, soaring out from the water and says, I am no longer the woman you knew. I am Phoenix. Mm. And then does she have memory of being Jean Grey? Yeah, so they, it's complicated. It's the whole thing, but she becomes Phoenix. She's still herself. But through several like manipulations and twists, she becomes like the Dark Phoenix and the enemy of the X-Men. Oh, It's kind of become one of the most famous stories. Um, Yeah, these were things I latched onto like right (laughs) away. Um, I loved drawing as a kid. So when I found out that this TV show was based on a comic series with hundreds of issues to catch up on, I knew what I had to do. <laughs> Did you just like go straight to the comic book store and just... Yeah. Because they were all old ones. Were they super expensive or were they just like billions of them? Yeah, kind of both. Like some were collector's items, but then there were plenty that were just in the dollar bin that I would pick up. Mm-hmm. And in the 90s, they also had they had the specialty comic shops that are more common now, but they also had comics at like the 7-Eleven yeah, yeah. Um, or convenience stores, which is a really easy easy access point Uh and I think for a lot of like young queer people who are into X-Men they provided this and comics in general just provided this kind of alternate world you could step into Mm -hmm. Um, because I grew up in Ottawa the nation's capital hold for applause hold for applause oh no need (laughs) (laughs) oh crickets oh wait (laughs) I'm hard on Ottawa. It's gotten better now, but um, yeah, we always 
refer to it as like the world's biggest small town in a way. Yeah, I I get that. Yeah, like it's got a million people, but it's a company town and the company is the federal government. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> so there's like a sense of uh, like homogeneity and it wasn't like the most friendly place to grow up as like a young sissy. Yeah, yeah, sure. So the comics were such a nice outlet and inspired me to want to draw my own stuff growing up. And at that time too, because we were into comics a lot too, we were typically like an Archie Double Digest family. Yeah. And like the sort of Archie extended family Casper and all the whatever's like, I know Richie Rich, I know they're not the same thing, but the sort of like convenience store $2 comic situation. Mm -hmm. And then I was interested in X-Men because of that wonderful cartoon and the great arcade game as well. Yes. Super good. But I remember with X-Men, cause like I got the action figures and stuff, but I was like, I've always been someone who wants to start at the very beginning in what enjoy everything sequentially and linearly. And we were at like, as you've said, like X-Men issue 200, whatever. And I was like, I'm too late. I can't. (laughs) It's like very Byzantine and intimidating because it's like, (laughs) totally. It's like 60 years of history, a lot of which contradicts itself. And there's been like a gazillion writers on it. Um, But with like, in terms of entry points, there's this one writer, Chris Claremont, who wrote the book for like, I want to say 16 years straight. Wow. So a lot of people just kind of jump in with his stuff. And it's still intimidating because it's like hundreds of issues. But with like the internet and like access to like Wikipedia and fan websites, it's been like a bit easier to like get kind of a grip on all that's happening. Yeah. It was funny to like... Like, I read the comics pretty religiously through elementary school and into high school. And I think I subconsciously thought of, like, felt an affinity to them as something queer. But when I look back on them, because I've become like a reader of X Men again in recent years, reading the old stuff, you're like, oh, this is like really fucking gay. Well, I was going to ask you because, of course, like any superhero secret identity thing is like such an obvious queer coding where we're like, but I also have a secret. Even if you don't really know it, you're just like, I also am like, want to go to a secret school with people who are just like me or whatever. Um, but was there anything ever explicitly queer in X-Men in those days? Or did you just like, you just sort of got the dog whistle? Yeah, it was very dog whistly. Like these people are ostracized and feared by society, but they're feared because they're kind of fabulous and like have amazing things going on yeah and there's nothing i mean like unfortunately in the latter half of the 20th century a lot of mainstream comics are subject to like really rigorous censorship Mm -hmm. from the comics code authority which is kind of the equivalent of the censors that hit hollywood in the 30s right with the Hayes code and things like that exactly but a lot of writers especially x-men ones did like everything they could to throw in a little wink wink like there's this scene that's kind of famous in the 80s comics where storm develops like a close friendship (laughs) with this woman assassin in japan and they have this like unforgettable weekend together and storm emerges from this weekend wearing all leather 
and has shaved her head into a mohawk. Okay. And it's just like totally butch, like punk looking, like kind of Joan Jett-y yes. out of nowhere. And all the other characters are like scandalized, being like, Storm, what happened to you? <laughs> right. And then like the nudge, nudge, wink, wink with the actual written story is like, we just had so much fun. Yeah. Yeah. And what's fascinating and something I only realized, I only found out recently was a lot of the writers writing X-Men in the 80s were people who like lived in New York and were either adjacent to or participated in like the downtown art scene that was happening at the time. Wow. So all these writers were going to like the tunnel and like gay clubs. I I went to this lecture this comics conference a few years ago where there is a comic artist from the 80s giving a talk about New York back then and he was saying like if you were in the art scene in New York everyone is bisexual in the 80s <laughs> everyone yeah like the the boundaries were super blurry everyone yeah. was kind of experimenting and it was really liberated uh right before like AIDS hit yeah and so, too, when you reread the old X-Men comics, like, every character is bisexual. <laughs> like, no one's straight in the X-Men comics. I feel like in a superpower elevated consciousness world, that's just sort of the natural evolution, right? Totally, yeah. You're just having wild weekends and sexing so hard your hairstyle changes. Yeah, and they're all flirting with each other. They're all jealous of each other. They're all wearing like sexy spandex costumes. Like, right. It's a free for all in there. <laughs> it's sort of like the boys. Have you watched the boys at all? Yes, I have. It's an amazing send up of like superhero culture as it's metastasized into its current corporate form. Totally. Really intense, but I really like it. A lot of spandex, a lot of sex. And... Lots of spandex. <laughs> yeah. And all the things you said. You made me queer. You made me queer. We'll be right back. And now, back to more You Made Me Queer. You made me queer! Uh, okay, so so we'll go there. So you said the Jean Grey sort of like the way that character spoke to you for sure. So was it that, was there also a corollary where there was an attraction to other characters rather than like I want to be or I want to be friends with, but but like a sort of sexual awakening at that age? Well, I mean, I think I was probably too nervous to let myself think of any <laughs> of the male characters as desirable, but I was more just like fixated on the female characters being like, oh my God, these women are like eating, as the kids say. <laughs> like they look so good. <laughs> and they're so strong and complex and powerful. Absolutely. And the way they dress, like you said, like you keep talking <laughs> about these costumes and I laugh at that word, but it's like, yeah, you're right. It is so draggy and and theatrical. And I think the turning point for me, and I think it might tie in to the second part of my answer. Mm -hmm is um, when I first started coming to Toronto when I was a teenager, it was for comic conventions, like Fan Expo. Oh, yeah. And going down to the big convention center and seeing people cosplaying as these characters. Oh, my God. Seeing, like, all the menses dressed <laughs> up in their spandex. I was like, oh, okay. I'm, like, I'm noticing that a little bit. That is so funny. When, do you know when your first Fan Expo or Comic-Con was in Toronto? I think it would have been 2003 or four. So I would have been 13 or 14. Yeah, yeah. We also like stayed at this hotel right at Young and College 
close to the gay village. Yeah. And I think something about staying in that part of town and just like getting a glimpse at all the people walking around downtown. I was like, hmm, something about, yeah, something about the people on display at this comic convention and the people on display in this neighborhood makes me feel like I should move to this place someday. <laughs> I don't know why, but I need to be near all the spandex now. Yeah. Yeah, couldn't tell you why, but something about it is calling me. <laughs> it's so funny because I only recently started going to fan expos and comic cons. I started hosting stuff there a couple years ago, and so I'd never really been in that space because I I don't know, like I I'm pretty into that like culture of that stuff. But I remember going there, and it's like, oh, there's like a what's her face from Rescue Rangers, like the little mouse, and then there's like, oh, there's from this thing, and then suddenly just like an absolute hunk in full body spandex and you're like oh oh yeah oh this is here <laughs> this is here too okay <laughs> really makes you double take you're like a oh, 100 i'm like i'm sorry <laughs> uh yeah beautiful and, and it's also like a very unsexy context yeah. to see such sexiness <laughs> <in>. <laughs> A lot of children. Sure. But I I do often refer to like comic conventions as like another form of pride weekend. <laughs> 100%. Cuz it's this huge convergence of people very passionate about the subculture. Yeah. And it's a moment where you just feel like you're living in like an alternate earth, you know? Yeah, and they something they've probably been bullied for in a lot of capacities yeah. and they make their way to wherever the space is with like a trench coat on over their secret costume or just like the person on the subway in like full anime garb. Oh, I love that. Yes, because no one knows the Comic-Con is happening. So they're just like, "What's? why do you have a seven foot plastic sword, young man? <laughs> What's the story? I recently, my friend took me to an anime convention a few weeks ago out by the airport, <laughs> Yes, which is a whole other level. And they actually make you, which is probably good. They make you check in your weapons. Like you get to keep them on you, but you have to like get them registered. They do that at Fan Expo. Oh, cool. Yeah. You get a tag, like a little colored tag. Yeah. <laughs> But the lineup for it's amazing because, yeah, it's this whole lineup of just people with increasingly large swords, like <laughs> up to like 10 feet tall. It's amazing. The swords are so big. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. I love it. Like me going there in my 30s, I was like, I think I just got reawakened. But you going there at that age, oh, like, Ugh. holy hell. And being that close to the village, even just, you know, if you haven't been around that kind of environment or people who are out or like have visual signifiers of their sexuality. It's very enticing and like forbidden when you see it for the first time. Yeah, totally. Kind of like blows your whole brain open. Yeah. I mean, like that community has a presence in Ottawa, but it's so like not mainstream and there isn't a lot there or in the, there wasn't anyway, a lot of physical like public space allocated to it when I was growing up. Do you mean fan expo type stuff or queer stuff? <laughs> Both, I guess. Yeah. Oh boy. Yeah. What's the difference? Like there wasn't really a gay village in Ottawa. I think they've attempted to shape one more recently. Mm. This kind of leads though, like I, I ended up moving to Toronto in 2008 and you could say like X-Men, <laughs> X-Men, <laughs> made me queer as a kid but as a person in my early 20s I think working at a certain downtown vegan restaurant where <gasps> I met you for the first time what? made me queer as a young adult 
Okay, so Eric and I originally know each other from working at the same. We don't need to. We don't need to name the restaurant because they don't deserve any advertising. But we're not saying the restaurant. <laughs> but it's funny, like the the sort of intersection of like really interesting artsy alternative people who were really doing uninteresting things with their time there. Yeah, yeah. Like they, I think it was my first summer in Toronto. I was 19. Oh my God. Desperately looking for jobs, super unqualified for everything. <laughs> I had an interview at this restaurant. I think they hired someone else, but that person didn't work out. So I was like the backup hire. Yes. And I was told years later by the woman who hired me, who's still a friend, she was like, oh, we hired you because you wore eyeliner to the interview. <laughs> and we were like, this this little baby gay needs to be taken under our wing and protected by us. Oh, that's so sweet. Yeah, no, like they knew what they were doing. Like they hired me as a host and I was the youngest person there by like five years, I think at the time. Oh yeah. And I think more than going out in the gay village in my first couple years in Toronto, working at that place made me get exposed just to like different ways that people could be queer and live their lives. Oh, 100%. Yeah, a lot of the staff were queer and like queer women, like trans men, people who since it was the early 2010s, they were identifying as genderqueer which would be like closer to non-binary now. Mm -hmm. And at the time, this was all like new information for me, like just people I hadn't hung out with before. And they all had kind of like queer lives, I guess, in terms of like having multiple jobs, being actors, musicians, artists, but then working this serving job a few times a week just to like make rent and everything. Yeah, and this was a time I think, I don't know, it's become so much more mainstream now, but telling someone you were vegan like you kind of had to come out you had to like sit them down at a second yeah. cup and be like no nothing's changed I'm still me <laughs> I'm just gonna be a little difficult when we go out to eat <laughs> <laughs> that's right <laughs> yes I remember that and that's funny because I also remember one time you I mean it sounds like they did right by you which I love yeah but one time you wanted to play Kylie Minogue's Aphrodite CD on this sound system that had just come out yes it just come out and they <laughs> they said no and you said I feel like this is a hate crime <laughs> <laughs> and you're not wrong that's probably something I said yeah. yeah which is funny I ended up working there for a decade which is wild oh my god I didn't think I would last for the first few months because it was a really fast-paced job yeah um really demanding super intense clientele because like before the restaurant became trendy it was like hardcore vegans who were eating there who were at the forefront of weird allergies and gluten-free stuff. So right. you were like fighting for your life, taking <laughs> orders sometimes like, oh my God, does this salad mix have this nut in it? I know and no one knew. Now it's something where like there's a whole different factory if it's like totally. what they use poppy seeds. But at the time it was like, I don't know, should I call the factory? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, we like we had this like thick ass binder <laughs> that had every ingredient in it that I would just like carry around like <laughs> right. a safety blanket. I remember asking a woman there, I was like, like mystified what's jicama oh my god yeah and she just rolled her eyes at me and i was like oh i'm <laughs> i suck 
I still don't really know. It's like kale. I should have just quit. It's a leafy green, it's right? It's carrot adjacent. Carrot adjacent. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Which is a pretty queer thing to say. <laughs> yeah, for real. <laughs> carrot adjacent is my drag name. <laughs> I'll never forget. Like, I was really intimidated by the coworkers because they were all like cool as fuck. Mm -hmm. But I remember the first night they invited me out with them. And I was like, moi, like go out with you guys. And when I started going out with them more, they were the first ones to really take me to queer bars that were outside yeah. of downtown, like more in the West End. Yeah. Which at the time would have been like the Hen House, uh, like a lesbian owned bar at the time. Great bar. There's the Beaver, Nako Gallery Cafe. Mm. And I owe it all to them, like just for dragging me along and kind of like teaching me the ways and like to have good politics and stuff. Oh boy. It's so funny because there was a time like you, you make that discovery of the village, like you said, but then for people who don't really thrive in the village, which I would say is quite a lot of people, even if they're not super aware yeah. to discover a queer community that also on the Venn diagram overlaps with the other things you like is really refreshing. It was like totally like mind expanding. And the, we would go out to see drag shows in the West End that were really experimental, freaky. And yeah, I remember having this full circle moment being like, oh my God, these drag queens are like my new superheroes now. Like, Ooh, love that. These are like x-men characters but real i don't know yes <laughs> yes that makes perfect sense and it made everything come together for me because i think when i first moved to toronto and was going out in the village i kind of like i tossed the comics away for a little bit because i associated them with being in the closet and being more introverted mm. kind of reading these things to like hide away from the world a little bit and now i was like in the world and like falling on my ass and experimenting with everything. Getting a chance to like see that queer culture and the stuff I grew up reading could overlap in a Venn diagram was like such an aha moment and something that still really excites me to think about. <laughs> Absolutely. And also it's funny to think about now just hearing that story and how that like going out and seeing those alternative queens and alternative bars and things kind of awoke you because your comic art and what you do now as a profession is obviously so influenced by those bars and like nightlife and the personalities there. Uh, so it's such a cool through line that that's kind of what brought you into your next phase, where you are now. Yeah, it's it was funny, like when lockdown hit and we couldn't go out anywhere, mm -hmm. me and I think a lot of people got back into reading comics in a really big way just to like pass the time. Yeah. In the last couple of years, I really discovered this whole like queer online X-Men fandom that's just like re-examining the 80s comics and like, yeah, doing these deep dives to find the queer connections that are like subtextual, but like just barely beneath the text. Like they're all right there. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. Oh my God, that's making me want to dive back in with that artist that you're the book writer rather that you said. I don't know. I can't just skip the first hundred issues, can I? <laughs> <laughs> They're like kind of unremarkable. I don't know. Like X-Men was a bit of a flop comic when it came out at <sighs> first. 
Like it fully got canceled. Wow. Like discontinued after a few issues. And then it ran in reprints for a few years. And then Chris Claremont was the one who came in and made it what we think of it as today. Yeah. And I've heard from people that a lot of his female characters, they're referred to by this online fan base as the Claremont Dame archetype. Oh. Where they're just like really strong kind of BDSM type women in like all leather who are just like bossing people around. And I've heard from people that Chris Claremont was like kind of into being dominated by like sexy ladies. Like he's kind of into the fetish scene. Yeah, so he's just drawing this fantasy. Absolutely. <laughs> and that's why you're drawing sexy M&Ms. <laughs> yeah, totally. Listen, the heart wants what it wants, right? <laughs> it really does. Who am I to resist that? <laughs> you're, you and your sharpier but a vessel. Okay, so lovely, Eric. Uh, I could talk to you so much longer. We have so, I think, feel like just about the restaurant alone. Oh my God, yeah. Oh my God. Much to unpack. <laughs> Much to unpack. I don't even think I was there that long. So, that was during an era when I burned through jobs pretty fast. Not to brag. <laughs> <laughs> I should have burned through that one a little faster, but... <laughs> no, that was like your, uh, I'm sure that money got pretty good by the end. It did. Like it, I settled into this vibe there. Like I found it so hard to learn everything that when I did get a handle on it, I was like, okay, I can't leave now. And it also like made my life possible through my twenties. Like the money was pretty consistent and at its best, I worked there like three or four days a week and could make my like monthly expenses that way. And that freed me up to be able to draw like whatever on the other three days, you know? 100%. We all had to have those wacko jobs to uh, practice our art. Yes. You know, podcasting <laughs> hadn't even been invented yet. So I was just wandering around waiting for my medium to find me. Oh. You were just on speaker's corner putting more quarters in, being like, I just want to keep talking. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> and talking into a dictaphone and then handing the tapes out. Yeah, that's right. It gets better. <laughs> uh, so, Eric, I would love to talk to you forever, but unfortunately we are running out of time. So, before I let you go, would you like to play a game? Oh my god, sure. Great. Good. Let's go. We're doing it. This game is called Queer, Queerer, Queerist. Queerer, Queerist! Oof. Okay. Wolf is right. I'm going to give you three things. Your job is to put them in order from least queer to most queer and tell me why. Oh, wow. Okay. Hit me. Okay. Thing number one. And this, I wrote this before you brought up these stories, but I think this is going to resonate. Thing number one, side avocado. <laughs> you know it. It's it's inexplicably $8. It is like three measly slices on the side, but it's a hot ticket item. Thing number two, airplane safety cards. Mm. Sort of comic adjacent, mm -hmm. quite a narrative happening, a weird kind of like thick laminated plastic cardboard. There's a lot <laughs> happening. Final thing, thing number three, Elizabeth Montgomery as Samantha in Bewitched nose wriggle <laughs> just her little nose wriggle <laughs> that's how she casts spells so least queer to most queer side avocado airplane safety cards 
Elizabeth Montgomery's nose twitch. Least queer to most queer and why? Yeah, least queer airplane cards. Because those feel <laughs> very normative and like very like in the box, you know, like get creative with it. There's lots of ways you can get out of a plane if it's going down, you know, like don't tell me what to do. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and also isn't the plane went down and that's how Jean Grey became Dark Phoenix. That's right. Oh my God. She got out of it just fine. <laughs> <laughs> I'm staying right where I am. Yeah. Queerer, probably side avocado slice. Because it's like, you know, it's it's always good to like, to queer a burger or a salad with some extra avocado. Mm -hmm. And the increasing expensiveness of a side of avocado is both uh, like in a righteous way, it's not queer because like in a utopian way, avocado should be free because it's in nature. Right. But it's also like in a cosmopolitan way, it's kind of queer that it's expensive, you know, like it's kind of chic. It's, I see what you mean. It is, there's a scarcity about it and it's so bizarrely extra. <laughs> yeah, it's like, like, like kind of luxury. They made it a luxury. It's only a luxury because they don't let us bring our own avocado. <laughs> Honestly, yeah. Um, and oh, that just makes me think of like, when the restaurant, which I can make fun of because we're not talking about its name. We're not saying its name. When it was like really going downhill and more corporate, the side of avocado slice fee was like <laughs> getting up to be like $4 or something. And then it'd be oh my God. the most sad, slim little sliver of a brown avocado slice. And oh, totally. the indignity of having to like bring that to a table with a straight face um, was worse than being bullied as a child. <laughs> 100%. It just brought everything back. The trauma is nonstop. So it's kind of queer. <laughs> it's like an airport salad or something where they're like, this is $25. And you're like, I will burn this whole place to the ground. Yeah, I was coming back from uh, Newark Airport and I was like famished and they have one food area in my gate thingy and for one little juice and one like small soggy wrap yeah uh it was 22 american dollars i'm so like v viscerally angry right now i hear you because i bought an apple there once and i think it was four dollars us uh, from nature that's where like i don't know it's where the class war is going to break out first is in the airport i yeah, think fruit yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The airport fruit section. And queerest is like for sure the nose wiggle. I don't know. I haven't watched Bewitched since I was a kid, but I have a very visceral memory of that shit happening. <laughs> well, yeah, you're not wrong. And when I thought of this, I was like, I gotta see it to refresh my memory. And Lord knows YouTube is full of nose wriggle super cuts. Oh my God. Like a 30 minute video <laughs> of like everything from the seven or eight years. Like free, it's like a story plot point frequently. <sighs> Because it's how she casts spells. What an icon. I love her. What an icon. Two husbands. I love when they have a show when it's it's like an Aunt Viv from the Cosby show thing. Mm -hmm. When they just bring a whole new actor to play someone. Yes. Like we're not going to notice. <laughs> yeah. it's it, I love that. That's pretty superhero-esque too. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. She could be an X-Men character for sure. They just like, <laughs> totally. they just like run out of mutant powers. So they're like, she's just 
she's just a witch. I mean, they've done that before. <laughs> it's pedestrian, but we accept it. Um, okay, great answers. So let's check again. So least queer was airport safety cards. Number two was side avocado. Ugh. And number three was nose wriggle. Let me just check your marks. <laughs> One, two, three. Let me confer with the Kylie Minogue cardboard cutout. Yes. Yeah. Oh, good point. Yes, she agrees. Congratulations, Eric. You got 100%. You are, in fact, a, a queer person. Yay. Oh, my God. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. You're welcome. The results are in and they're in your favor. Side avocado is the one that was making the hands sweaty a little bit because there's such like agony and ecstasy in an in a side avocado i don't know 100 <laughs> i could have seen that as uh queerest but it would have been wrong so well done <laughs> i could do like a five episode series on things that made me queer but i just also remembered as a kid we had this weird channel that aired abfab <gasps> at like 6 a.m and i used to wake up before school when i was like eight and i would watch it just like did something to me <laughs> walking in on your young child watching avfab is the is worse than walking in and watching like gay hardcore pornography i think so too yeah <laughs> and by worse i mean so much better avfab is somehow both of them are still really still thriving yeah totally um they did that movie just a few years ago which was like quite watchable it's watchable it's it wasn't bad <laughs> although what's her face Jennifer Saunders wrote the book for the Spice Girls musical, which apparently was not great. Oh, no, that has so much potential. That's, I know. That sounds like a dream pairing, but... Well, it's funny because I am I was a Spice Girls super fan growing up. And they, when you look back, really only released two popular CDs. So there were not that <laughs> many songs to choose from. <laughs> I liked their attempt at getting into 2000s vibes after Jerry left. Like, Holler oh, yeah. is a banger. Holler. They, I'll tell you what, that stuff does not age well. Watch some of those. It's like early green screen 3D music videos. Oh, yeah. There's that pyramid that they're in. Oof. Yes, mm. you know it. Mm. I'm, a, I'm a classicist. I like my Spice Girls running through a hotel. Nipples a go-go. Partying in the desert. Yes. Yeah. Oh, my I feel, God. I feel ya. Partying in the desert. That's <laughs> It's all great stuff. And when I have you back in the show, we will talk about it. But for now, Eric, before I send you off to your own sliced avocado, is there something <laughs> you'd like to plug? Yes. Um, I have a new book out called 2 a.m. Eternal. Um, the really long title for it is 2 a.m. Eternal a decade of queer nightlife posters and comics 2012 to 2022 whoa nothing's more queer than a long ass title <laughs> is there a colon in the middle of it i think so i think there's a colon and a comma at some point it's a whole thing <laughs> maybe an m dash as well <laughs> m dash is very queer <laughs> <laughs> yes i next time it should be hyphen n dash or m dash uh. <laughs> you just you just cooed in response to that <laughs> it just awakened something in me anyway <laughs> sames uh okay so your book everyone should buy it if it's not already issued by the government by the time they hear this <laughs> yes it's available it's available like where fine books are sold <laughs> um i think you can order it online um, for people in Canada, I've been telling them to order it through the Beguilings website. They're this really great comic shop in Toronto 
that specializes in supporting a lot of small press and like independent stuff. And during COVID, they really got their game together with like online shopping and whatnot. So they'll ship anywhere. They're awesome. We love it. The beguiling. Folks can just search for that. And if you don't know how to spell it, what an opportunity to learn. Oh my God, totally. Yeah. <laughs> just keep keep trying until you get it. It'll it'll happen. <laughs> That's right. It's gotta be some combination of those letters. Yes, go buy that and then also deep dive face first into Eric's back catalog. <laughs> Which, which sounds pretty <laughs> lewd when I say it out loud. Uh, but do it because there's really a sparkling library of so many beautiful comics. Find that sexy M&M. And also you can read about sort of Eric's climb up through uh, the queer club scene, which he's already talked about and which he's documented so brilliantly. One of my favorite one-pagers is when your protagonist, unnamed protagonist, ascends to Beyonce's castle to find oh out God. how to prep your butt. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's very special. We won't tell you how it ends. <laughs> yeah, that is from my first self-published series, uh, Hungry Bottom Comics, which is out of print now, but there's parts of it that I reprinted in the new book just as they fit into the chronology. So there's a little, there's little pieces of it here and there. You can find it. Uh, well, listen, this has been an absolute joy. Yes, thanks for having me. It was so lovely to chat with you. Oh my God, thanks for being here. And I do also want to tell you because I was very queer when this conversation started and talking to you and Kylie has made me queerer <laughs> than ever, Eric. Oh, it's all going according to plan. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Crash the plane, baby. Bring back Dazzler. Justice for Dazzler. Absolutely. She needs her due. <laughs> okay, I, I waited eagerly. Thank you so much, Eric. Oh, thank you. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Queer, queer, queer. Queer, 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 queer. Queer, 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 Okay, and that is our penultimate you Made Me Queer's Eve episode. I hope you enjoyed it. As always, you can rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast. We love it when you do it. And you can send me a salacious and possibly vitriolic message at youmademequeer at gmail.com, which my staff checks with regularity. All of my staff I'm going to have to lay off when this, this final episode goes out. The mailroom, the caterers, the C-suite team, you know, I'm sure they'll have great careers afterwards, and I hope they recognize the impact I've had on their lives. That's enough. Cue credits. You Made Me Queer is created and produced by me, Trevor Campbell. Our editor is Harlow Castillo. Our theme song is by Critty. For more for music, check out lavenderbruisers.bandcamp.com, won't ya? Our Instagram and Twitter handles are at You Made Me Queer. New episodes of You Made Me Queer come out every Thursday. One more time. And from the bottom of my big bent heart, thank you so, so much for listening. Until next time. We're here, we're queer, and it's your fault. 